welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. Addiction is often understood as a downstream consequence of trauma, especially childhood neglect or abuse. And addiction clearly can also be the presenting symptom of an underlying psychiatric illness, particularly depression or bipolar disorder, severe anxiety. This is classic self-medication, using substances as a coping strategy to change or numb painful emotional states. Sometimes, however, addiction is the main event, the core issue, the root of all other emotional, cognitive, and interpersonal problems. For Lena, her addictions were the root of all her misery. She seemingly was born into this world with a brain precisely wired for drugs and alcohol. And by sixth grade, she was in high gear with no ability whatsoever to put on the brakes and stop the freight train of her addiction. That Lena is alive today, the fact that she thrives today, is some kind of little miracle. In the latter part of the episode, Lena and I discuss the key role that a medication called Suboxone has played in her recovery. Suboxone is the original brand name for buprenorphine, and I tend to use these interchangeably. And those of you who listened to Desperately Not Seeking Meth in Season 1 might remember me talking about Suboxone. Suboxone is a medication that occupies the opioid receptor and partially activates it, thereby eliminating withdrawal symptoms and also providing a partial opioid effect, including some relief of emotional and physical pain. But Suboxone also has another very special property. It is extremely sticky in the opioid receptor. So long as a patient is taking at least 8 to 12 milligrams of Suboxone buprenorphine, other opioids such as heroin, fentanyl, oxycodone, they can't reliably attach to the receptor. Suboxone effectively vaccinates people against other opioids. Imagine having an empty room in your house which is constantly occupied by drifters, con artists, crazy ex-lovers. You wonder, how can I ever regain control of this room and have some peace in my own house? And then, an old friend from childhood moves in. Hmm, she's stable, predictable, non-toxic, and keeps all the other sketchy people away. Ah, that roommate is Suboxone, and she might be the start of a more sane and healthy life. Lena's been my patient for six years, and she was totally thrilled when I asked her if she wanted to tell her story, with both of us hoping that her journey might help others find some hope and a path out of their addiction. In these fairly dark times, I think her story is a ray of hope and proof that massive change is possible, that in seemingly hopeless situations, one or maybe two caring people at the right time in the right place can make all the difference in someone's life. A heads up on this episode, Lena frequently uses some pretty raw language, so if that bothers you, I think you might want to sit this one out. And one of the things that really struck me when I met you years ago was that you started off in powerlessness. Now I think of, you know, as an addiction psychiatrist, I often think of people reaching powerlessness after some period of time, like after a few years of drinking or switching to needles or finding their drug of choice right. or, or maybe being in some 
I don't know, life crisis where they finally descend so heavily into substance use that they can't get out. But I remember when I first met you that you were pretty clear that from the get-go, as a, as a middle school student, you were mm-hmm. full-on powerless. Yeah. Yeah, I think like when we, for example, like in the program in AA or NA, it talks about being powerless. And I never really could relate to being powerless because I never had that point that I hit where it was like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden now I'm powerless. I always I was always powerless. It was always an extreme. I was always taking it to the furthest possible um, high that I I could possibly get to. And what are some of your earliest memories? Yeah. So like in middle school, I think I was in sixth grade and I, I had a friend, Elliot, and he had a prescription of benzos. And I don't even know why when you're that young, you should have that, but he did. That's insane. It's insane. Right. And this of course was what early 2000. So, you know, things are Mm -hmm. different now, but I, he didn't like them. And I was like, oh, bring them to me. And I didn't really know what it was, you know. I mean, I had an idea, but I didn't really know what it was. And I ended up taking way too much and ended up getting, like, kicked out of school that day and brought into the counselor's office. But it was interesting because it was, like, a normal, just a normal thing for me to take that many and get to that point all of a sudden immediately, you know. And I know a lot of people can relate to that, like, you know, a lot of people can relate to the fact that like the first time they drank, they immediately black out. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of always how it was. And so it was it was always that extreme and always to that level. Like I just wanted to be completely obliterated if I could, even though I didn't I didn't really understand what I was doing. But I, I did. And it somehow too, like subconsciously, that's and that's why I knew I knew my whole life from a long time ago that I was a drug addict for that reason mm-hmm. because that's it's like I, I think we were talking about it it's like a second skin it's a second you know it's my first nature not even my second nature it's it's the first thing that I do right Were you an unhappy kid or were you? No, no, no. I was a happy kid. I had no real serious like, um, yeah, well, you know, I had some like upbringing issues, right? Family issues, but everybody does, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, when you compare my story to somebody else's, you know, it's not like I didn't have present parents. My parents were there and I was a really happy kid. And naturally my disposition in life is happy and positive. That's just yeah. who I am as a person. So you're a happy kid who knew she was loved without any significant trauma <laughs> yep. who wanted to, to be get fucked up as, as I, fucked up as possible as I possibly could be. Yeah. Right. Which is just, again, so, you know, something happens even when you're that small and that young, you know, something is different. I look at other people my age and I know immediately that I'm different. Like I don't, I'm not interested in the same things as them. I don't want to do the same thing as they that they are doing. I don't feel like, there's something wrong with them. I don't really feel like there's something wrong with me. This is just how it is. And so from such a young age, that's then was a normal thing. It, it wasn't 
Uh, it wasn't what's wrong with me, or right. why, why can't I drink in moderation like my friends, right. or why can't I just right. smoke a little weed? Or Right, which is, yeah, which is really interesting, because again, it's like that subconscious, like, this is just how it is. And then, of course, like, way later down the road, when it when I really start to lose my mind and lose my balance in life and all things, you know, that a normal person does, then I realize, oh, shit, like okay, maybe this is not good. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're young, nothing, you know, what matters? It's like, what do you have to worry about when you're in sixth grade? Goddamn, yeah. you know, like, what are you, what are you doing when you're in sixth grade? You, yeah. <laughs> you know? I wonder what your, your peers in middle school and early high school were thinking. Because, you know, I'm sure they were a lot of them partying too, but I'm guessing they looked at you and thought, I think they thought that I was on crack. Like, I had a drug counselor at some point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of all these events when I was so young, like, I had gotten into some, like, minimal legal trouble. Like, I basically was really, really drunk, got pulled over by the cops in this car with, like, you know, seven people in the car. And everybody but me told the cop who they were and I just refused to tell the cop who I was because I thought it was a game I thought that this is funny I thought I was smarter than the cops you know because that again even such a young child this is this is who like I want to go as hard and as fast and be as difficult and be as raw as I possibly can be even that small like I mean I was only in like sixth grade right seventh grade or so at this point it's like you were born into this role I was born like into this chaotic world. drug one hundred percent. You found that chaos. You I stepped thrive into on it, and it. You thought, yeah, this, this is me. Yeah, right. And so they had to arrest me. Like they couldn't they couldn't actually arrest me because I was so young. They couldn't even put cuffs on me. But they had to put me in the car and take me to the jail and put me in this juvenile room. And they had the resource officer from the middle school come and identify me. And he took me home. And because of this, I got put into this program with a judge and kind of like a a 12-year-old, you know, what who if you want to call him a probation officer, but again, I'm 12 years old. It's there's no real legal charges, so we called her a case manager, and she was amazing. Like she had a really amazing influence on me, but it didn't matter. I still used drugs, but she would come to the house and drug test me. And then I had this drug counselor, and the drug counselor would come to my house and counsel me. And I remember like this one time. Me and her, her and I are sitting at the kitchen table and my mom's in the kitchen and she really wanted me to admit that I was doing crack cocaine. And at that point I had not done crack cocaine yet. Mm-hmm. Well, you and were 12. I was 12, okay. right? And I was like, no, I, I like, I promise you, like, these are the drugs that I have done. I have not done crack cocaine. And she just did not want to accept it. And I was kind of like, this is cra- like, this is crazy. Like it, it made me grow up really quick. Cause I was like, man, like, well, like w- w- what, what is this? This is the adult here. The adult should definitely know. How does the adult not know that I'm not doing crack cocaine? What's wrong with me that maybe they think I'm doing crack cocaine? Mm-hmm. So that ended up like, you know, fizzling out over the years. And I mean, it sounds like there's nothing 
the drug counselor was going to do to Mm-mm. to stop you. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. And How about your parents? I'm, I'm guessing your parents, they... I think, you know, and, and I've talked a lot about this and I love them dearly and they, you know, what do you do when somebody you love is sick, right? And... I think that they were in denial for a long time. I think they didn't realize how serious it was because I was so young. You know, it's kind of like, nah, well, yeah, like, yeah, the the kids experimenting or whatever, right? Who knows? Who knows what they thought? I've never actually spoke with them about it, but because it is painful, you know, it's like I never want anybody to feel blame or feel responsibility mm-hmm. because, again, it really had nothing to do with them. It had nothing at all to do with them. Yeah. Yeah, um, I wasn't thinking about, excuse me, in terms of blame. I was thinking yeah, about, right. say, family members who are listening to this or parents even who have a family member, you know, spiraling into the hell of addiction. Right. And what, and we'll talk about this later, but again, from what you've described earlier and all these years I've known you, that like you were a supernova flaming towards the yeah the just pit all the time nothing just was going to stop you the as as far down as i could go you know like i just wanted to and there's something interesting about it too it's like my body chemistry is made for this mm-hmm. you know it, you know i mean it's like we've all been in addiction well anybody who's an addict knows it's like yes you build a tolerance right but I think there's some addicts out there that can relate when I say that it's like I was just born with the tolerance in place Mm -hmm. already so that I could go as hard as I possibly could at all times. Like, Mm -hmm. and not that that it made my life good, Mm -hmm. you know, it obviously did not, you know, uh, every time I put drugs in my body, I I have no idea what's going to happen. And I lived like that for years, you know, there's still people I run into like here in Fort Collins that know me and I have no idea who they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how, like, I have no idea who you are. How did I meet you? And they, like, know things about my sister. And I'm like, who the fuck are yeah, you? Yeah. And I met them at some point mm-hmm. in drug addiction, just completely obliterated. Yeah. Completely <laughs> out of my mind, you know? Um, after, like, eight grams of Xanax and right. just complete memory after, wipe. After, like, yeah, my 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 usual uh, my usual benzo intake was, like, at least eight bars a day in a 24-hour period. Yeah. You know, like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy shit i was really trying to die you know but i didn't really want to die until uh, i until i did right What about, do you remember in adolescence, was your descent into this this hell, how goal-directed was it versus, meaning like, oh, I want to try meth, I want to do IV, I want to... Yeah, nothing uh, like versus that. Versus you just being just, sort of stumbling forward, whatever came in your way. You right, would... right, yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, too. Like, I have so many favorite drugs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how. You know, most people really love alcohol, or they really love meth, or they really love cocaine, or they really love heroin. And like, yes, I can say heroin is my favorite drug. However, I 
I love them all. Like, I have a special place in my drug addict heart for all of them, you know? It's like your children. I yeah. Love, I love them all. In yes, ways. yes. The middle child probably is meth, you know? The baby is heroin. Mm. But, you know, that's how it is. I never once was like, I think, I didn't, I didn't wake up and say, I think I'm going to try heroin today. I just, I just fucking did it. Like, it was just, again, like the subconscious normal thing it's it's an interesting idea because again most people that i do know you know they remember when they were thinking about they were gonna try heroin Mm -hmm. or you know they thought it was okay that they weren't doing heroin and they were only doing opiates yeah right like i know a lot of addicts i work with will say well it's okay i'm doing x because i don't do y and z or i do x y and z but i would never do i would never do that right but Sounds like you didn't have a never list. I never had a never list. Yeah. I never had a never list. It was always and I it's really hard to put myself back in those situations because they are so careless and mm-hmm. so reckless that how could that have been me? But that's what I did. And you don't know that until you're all the way out of it. You know, if you would have asked me this in active addiction, I wouldn't have been able to give you a sentence about it. I wouldn't yeah. have been able to answer that because well, I would have been fucked up, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, like I just, I can't put myself back there. And that's why I'm an addict. That's what makes me an addict is the fact that I cannot ever remind myself of that recklessness. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I cannot do it for some reason. And that's what would draw me back. That's what would make me go to the next thing that somebody else may fear that I have already subconsciously have no fear. Just, I'm just doing it, yeah, you know, yeah. all of a sudden. I think a, a boundary that a lot of addicts don't cross, but I, th- I think if you do cross it, it's a whole different deal. That's IV. You know, yeah. Once, and you, you started IV use when you were 17, roughly? Uh, yeah, roughly when mm-hmm. I was 17. Could have been a little younger. Yeah. Um, do you remember much about that? I mean, was that, looking back, was that a significant transition or was it just such wasn't a... wasn't significant at all. It was, all. It was in the bathroom haze. at a gas station yeah. in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was just like any other day. It was cocaine, not heroin, actually. And it was just like a normal situation. And it was like, oh... This this is normal. Like this is normal. Wasn't this even is a milestone. Normal, yeah, this is a normal progression. I I didn't like run and tell my drug addict friends. Guess what I did yesterday? Mm-hmm. And I think by that point, I had f- so much at that point. Honestly, far exceeded like these crazy. Like I had already had these crazy incidents at, at that point. So it was kind of like that. That's fucking nothing at yeah, this point. Yeah. You know. Looking back, when were the most scary, chaotic years? I mean, it sounds like the early years had moments of self-reflection and then boom, back in it. But, you know, I remember uh, even when we met, you talking about even as high a tolerance as you have and and as all in as, as you always were, it started to get really you scary know, at times. Even then, even when I was like 15 and I started eating a bunch of ecstasy, and I remember this this night that I ate a bunch of Molly and I thought I was going to die. I almost had my friend call 911 
And so that was really scary. And then, so basically from, really from that point, like there were multiple scary incidences. There were, I was, I was afraid to use drugs, but I just didn't, it's, it's really hard to explain because it's like, I can't say that I was afraid, but then yet I would still do it. It's this weird combination and mix of feelings that you get that you want to do it, but you're still afraid of it. Like... I I didn't you know I didn't uh intravenously use cocaine for like 3 months because I did this shot of cocaine and completely flopped out and seized out and my roommate at the time luckily uh like iced me down but then I didn't come out of it I finally came out of it and I thought he was raping me because I didn't understand what was going on because I had just seized out on the floor I had been up for like you know 4 days and eating sassafras and you know still on a regular uh dosage of heroin and oxycodone and benzos and then did this huge shot of cocaine Mm -hmm. and seized out when i came out of it i thought he was raping me that was scary to me but it was not scary enough to make me stop doing drugs or i remember Mm -hmm. you even telling me a story once you broke a needle off in your arm yeah that was in actually that same time frame because i was so sick i was my body was so beat up like you can imagine what happens to your the oxygen in your veins and in your body when you're like you know you're using needles every day in all sorts of different places and i was digging and digging in my arm and that was like i mean that was like a normal occurrence for me though that was not something new because constantly when i am intravenously using drugs i'm gonna constantly have flattened veins like i cannot hit a vein to save my fucking life but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna fucking find it and find a way to do it because i have to this is the only option i have i'm not gonna snort this cocaine Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna snort this heroin i'm not gonna snort any fucking pills right unless it's a benzo and i dug and dug and dug and it was a long point needle and that needle broke right off in my arm and i just like I remember I just took my my fingertips and like rolled it out of my vein. Thank God. Thank God. Right. Mm -hmm. Now I think back and I'm like, holy shit. But I just like rolled it out of my vein and then I got a new needle and started digging around again. Mm -hmm. Like like nothing is wrong. Like nothing happened. Even the people that were around me that are drug addicts to their core were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Yeah. But I just couldn't stop. I couldn't help myself. Like, I just could not help myself. Mm-hmm. But, like, when I think back about that, that was not as scary to me as, like, you know, when I overdosed on cocaine and seized out. That was scarier. But mm-hmm. I'm still going to do it. I still intravenously shot cocaine after the fact. Yeah. You know? Um, it took, like, th- maybe three months. Like I say, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, three months. I think I feel better now. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, that's crazy yeah. shit. Or even waking up, you know, I mean, this is a... Co- fairly common thing with addicts but i mean you've told some just crazy stories to me in the past of waking up not knowing how long you've been out waking up in these situations where and there's one you told me like you you woke up like surrounded by money and, <laughs> yeah you know, it was so ridiculous but this happened all the time i would wake up in really fucked up situations i'd wake up driving i mean i'd wake up and have no idea where the fuck i've been for the past two days this particular instance and I think we were talking about like um you know people that like luckily I've never been been sexually assaulted somehow some way I've 
slightly been sexually assaulted, but nothing that's really affected me traumatically. But this particular day, I... I doing the same thing, you know, using a, a shit ton of drugs until I cannot function anymore. And I must have been counting money. You know, I'm selling drugs, of course. So, of course, I have a shit ton of cash on me. And I think I had like three grand on me. And I was sitting up in a bed and this bed happened to be like in a barn in the backyard in somebody's house. So I don't even know how the fuck I got out there Um, because typically at this house with these people I was with, I would be in the house. I don't know why the fuck I was out here in this barn, but nonetheless, I'm in this bed and I'm like sitting up against the wall and that's how apparently I had went to sleep, if you want to call it sleep. And like I wake up and I open my eyes and there's all this money all over me and all over the bed and I start trying to gather it and I'm trying to count it and I think there was like some hundreds of dollars gone. I didn't even care because I was just like I didn't even know what the fuck had happened. I didn't even know what the fuck had happened. Mm. Who fucking knows? Maybe I took out my money and gave it to somebody. Maybe I took it out trying to count it. It was the it's the dumbest shit we do. And, you know, what's funny is, like, I had a good friend who would do the same fucking thing. He Mm. would fucking take out his money, and then he would nod the fuck out. And Mm. I'd be like, homie, you're going to get robbed. (laughs) But then here I am doing the same shit. It's so funny that we, like, point fingers at each other, and we're literally doing the same shit, you know? finally started leading you to get clean and I, I know, i'm sure that's a complicated question but yeah um i'm guessing there are one or two things incidents or times that something changed in you that you yeah i decided mean, you had to be done i mean if i hadn't gotten in a lot of legal trouble you know breaking into pharmacies for like three years and then You know, having somebody tell on me that I was breaking into pharmacies, having my house watched, having a tracker put on my car, and then, like, getting my house raided by SWAT was definitely a pretty solid eye-opener because jail, jail helps. I'm just going to be real. It does not always keep you clean, but it will wake you up to say, okay, maybe... Maybe me going this hard is mm-hmm. there's something wrong. There's really, really something wrong. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be in jail. Jail is, it's not for me. I'm not that person. I'm just mm-hmm. not that person. It's not me. It's not my life. But somehow I had made it my life. Somehow here I was this fucking criminal, you know, like what the fuck was I thinking? Like what was I doing? Yeah. I really can't put myself back there. So that initially got me clean. But long before that, I tried and just failed, you know? Okay, I'm only going to do heroin on the weekends. <laughs> that sort of shit. <laughs> on that d- control. days that end with why. Yeah, yeah, that right. sort of control shit, right? And I'm just going to, like, uh, eat as much Adderall throughout the week as I possibly can, and then I'm going to, you know, do heroin on the weekends. And, of course, that shit doesn't work. Because once you're a heroin addict, you take heroin, and you're dope sick within six hours. You've got to keep taking heroin. You can't just only take heroin on the weekends it just does not work when you have a tolerance yeah. so i tried it but failed you know but the 
the actual like cringing and uh, distress of like my drug use really came when I was sitting in jail dope sick mm. and I was really really dope sick had never been dope sick like that in so long or at all because I had been using drugs freely carelessly for so long mm-hmm. and with no repercu- no real repercussion yeah. you know um, but I think you bring up a really interesting point Lena that um, the drug war has caused such horrific consequences and you know incarcerating addicts doesn't make sense it makes no sense but on the other side i think you pointed out something that not all addicts but a lot of addicts will say is that part of the process of changing their life was sitting in jail Mm -hmm. detoxing Mm -hmm. withdrawing Mm -hmm. for days on end for days and and days like really going through a real withdrawal with no help and no nobody gives a fuck when you're in there they don't give you anything for Mm -hmm. it they there is nothing to give you know it's not like i could take suboxone while i'm locked up you know what i mean but i think again i think we could maybe most people could agree that okay, we shouldn't throw people in jail for addiction. But again, you're an example that that's a complicated issue because you'd, you'd never really felt, you'd been high for so long yeah. that to actually just suffer there in that cell. I kind of had to. I 100% agree. I don't think incarceration and I don't think the system works well for drug addicts. And there's all kinds of studies to prove this. And... There's way better resources. We are a better group of people at this point, but we're still using these old, like, you know, old school ideas. Yeah, just lock them up, you know, let Mm -hmm. them hang. And that's a terrible way to have a society uh, healing. But that that's the way it is now. You know, there's things that are getting better in society that's helping us. But at this point, that's how it is. And so I don't agree with it. Uh, That wouldn't be my first go to Mm -hmm. for most people but in my case that was the only that was really the only thing that was going to really open my eyes and it wasn't necessarily being in jail that was the problem it was just getting me off of drugs Mm -hmm. long enough that I could be like oh yeah oh I like this is this is not like I never want to be that dope sick I never want to be that dope sick ever again yeah Let me read you this, Lena. This is something I just pulled out before you showed up. So you and I met July 25th, 2014. And this is my note from the day I first met you. Uh, And let's see. Here we go. (laughs) So weird. So weird. No, I I think actually... It's a good thing. No, it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. We've known each other six years. That's so cool. I know. That's crazy. Uh, 23-year-old single white female here with her mother referred by current patient of mine. Opioid dependent since age 17, got clean in 2011, has been on and off Suboxone the last three years, hasn't relapsed to IV heroin. Quote, I was doing really well until seven months ago, then I started doing meth, things went downhill, end of quote. Now in sober living in Aurora for two days after finally calling her parents asking for help, was using meth intravenously daily until one month ago. And let's see, she's now back on UAs. I wonder, oh, actually, let me finish. Let's see. Substance abuse started in middle school. She was using IV heroin by age 17. Mom, quote, I'm really worried about her lack of life skills. But, oh, yeah. But I want to ask you, Lena, what about the UAs? Was that part of you? 
you, know, you talked about the horror of basically detoxing and just being locked up and just sober and suffering. And mm-hmm. But were the UAs helpful and Mm-mm. not helpful? No, not at all. No. Not at all. And, you know, I appreciate that my mom thinks that. And there's a little, there's a little incentive there like hey i have to take a ua so i can't use but how many times did i use during my probation and just got away with it Mm -hmm. like a lot you know like a lot of times i did that there was a time that because as a drug addict i can be very manipulative and i'm not proud of it but it's just i i find ways i'm like a snake i will get in you know i'm gonna get in there somehow Mm -hmm. and figure it out because i have to because this is this is my life right And I wasn't taking UAs. However, I was doing some weird shit because I was up for days and days and days and on meth. And then I called my PO or I called my mom in like this really weird situation. But then my body gave out and I like basically wasn't on the phone and it was a weird thing. So my PO was like, I think you should take UAs again. And I somehow manipulated her into being like, no, I think I need like a counselor. I need a counselor. Mm. And so she like let me go to this like little group for, you know, the 8th Judicial Court, uh, drug court. And it was like, because I was never really in drug court, but it was a program for drug court. And with a bunch of other addicts and like this dude who ran it. And I would go there every fucking day Mm -hmm. that I had to go. And I would go there high as shit. And then finally the dude caught on to me that I was high as shit. And he called my PO. And voila. So like... It didn't really matter. It didn't yeah. really matter. It was it was all going to hit the fan. The shit's always going to hit the fan, yeah. you know. I mean, looking back, were there any key people who helped? You? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like helped my recovery? Yeah, that that helped sort of put down a hand, you know, I just picture you just drowning for years and and not wanting help. My PO, actually, she was the shit. She was super, super caring. She gave me chances instead of just locking me up because for all I know, had I just went back to jail, you know, it's not, again, it's not like a, like at that point in that stage in the game, like I don't think it would have been productive, right? And so... She, I have a lot of my recovery. I, I have to give to her, my parents, my family. Let me just stop you. That is so cool because yeah. I hear so many people complain about their probation officers, but that you, your PO actually no, she helped cared. save you. Dude, she cares about people. Like, and even just that alone, even if maybe she can't help me because I'm breaking the law, I still respect her so much because I saw that caring in her eyes, I can see it. I could feel it. You know what I mean? Like, she actually gave a shit. Who else was? Yeah, so my current roommate, who was my sponsor in the program for a while when I first got sober, who was running the Sober Living program, she came and rescued me uh, from the hotel where I was smoking crack. That was the last time that I used. I had been in Sober Living And I got kicked out because I relapsed on benzos and they wouldn't let me back in. And so I like went to this hotel and then I was smoking crack for a few days. 
And I finally was like, what, like, what am I gonna fucking do? Like, I'm in a fucking hotel. Like, what am I actually gonna do? Like, this is crazy. And I was still on probation all the while, right? And I'm like, I'm gonna go to prison or I'm gonna die. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- like, what am I doing? And I was so miserable. I was so beat up emotionally. And I like laid in the fetal position and I couldn't sleep because I'd been smoking crack. And like, I remember I was like smoking crack with these two like very fucking shady characters. And I tried to make it fun. And then I realized they were drug addicts just like me and they could not have fun because here we are. We don't get to have fun mm-hmm. doing drugs anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was just in so much pain. I was, I was so beat down and so tired and oh like it makes my stomach turn thinking about it now you know like because I never and so alone so alone like I literally was the last person in the universe that's that's Mm. what it felt like right and then Shauna uh came to see me at the hotel and like she like had this like warm aura like things are going to be okay like things are going to be okay and I didn't even know her story and it it may have been different but I didn't even care because she was like had this thing about her that like oh maybe I I'm going to mm. be okay I'm going to be okay I'm going to be okay I'm going to be okay I think it's going to be okay. Like maybe it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And Which she was a sponsor or just someone you'd met in At that point, yeah. she was just somebody I had yeah. met. Yeah. Um she was running a different sober living program from the one I had gotten kicked out of, but I had been kicked out of the one she was running as well because I got arrested the day that I moved in uh to that sober living program. I got arrested and got kicked out. And went to this other one that I relapsed at. So she was then the new program director of this this first place I had went. And it was like a miracle. Because I was like, if the same woman is run, running the program that had been, it would have... it. I don't think they would have let me in. But she was this new program director and didn't know me. Came to the hotel room. And a, a gentleman that was running the men's program. And he said, get your shit together. Get humble. Mm. and get honest get humble stop crying basically and she was a little softer and so like i had this really nice mix of like get your shit together (laughs) but i love you but get your shit together Mm. and um yeah like every time i see that gentleman now i i still see him at meetings and every time i i try to say thank you for saving my life because he saved my life Mm -hmm. and he didn't really even do anything you know he just showed up where I thought nobody ever would in this really dark place I was in and like something clicked, yeah. something clicked. Well, you said you were, you were feeling more alone than you ever had. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he I had felt up. alone before. Yeah. Like that was not, you know, anybody who knows this, anytime you go through a heroin withdrawal, you're so depressed and it is the loneliest feeling ever on top of like all the bodily you know, malfunctions, Mm -hmm. um, the sneezing, the restless leg syndrome, the not being able to sleep, you know, puking, cold, you know, chicken skin as we call it. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that, emotionally, it's the loneliest place to be as well. It's the most depressing thing I've ever experienced. But I was even more alone Mm. than that. So if you can imagine, like, that's how alone I was. And it took that sort of desperation really to also help me get 
Yeah. Clean. I would have yeah. never gotten clean if ever like I was kicking back, shooting dope, being like, God, life is fucking peachy. <laughs> but life is never really fucking peachy yeah. when you're in that state, yeah. you know, when you're breaking needles off in your arm and you know <sighs> Right. <clears throat> Yeah, passing out in barns and yeah, and just waking up with sketchy guys. All the even, sketchy yeah. shit that I was doing, you know. I mean, thank God I don't have like fucking uh, HIV from Sharon needles mm-hmm. or hepatitis from Sharon. Like these are the things I'm like, holy shit! How the fuck did I not yeah. get this? It is astounding. It's astounding. astounding that you didn't die, didn't get HIV, Hep C. That you weren't br- it's brutally raped. It's a fucking raped. miracle. I mean, it is. I mean, I just. How many times did somebody wake me up after I did too fat a, of a shot and mm. fucking couldn't wake up? They couldn't get me up, and then fucking I wake up somehow. Yeah. I mean, how many times did that happen? Yeah. You know, I've had to make amends to to young kids that have found me. My mm. good friend's younger sister found me with the needle in my hand, not and she couldn't wake me up in my bedroom at her sister's house and. You know, I had to make an amends for that because bless her sweet little heart, you know, and she's not a drug addict mm-hmm. and she she was so afraid and so scared and I had to make an amends for that because that was bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. and this is the kind of in, in influence I had on people around me. Yeah. You know, it was like no matter where I went, I was constantly causing pain and worry for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't necessarily wrecking your shit, but I was causing a lot of worry that's that's what i would do people were afraid of me you know they were afraid of what's what's gonna happen with lena you know What was the role of Suboxone for you in, in your journey to it sobriety? It saved my life. It still saves my life today, every single day. Like, thank God for Suboxone. The way that I did opiates and heroin, I just don't know if I would have been able to fully stop. Like, that's the honest truth. If I did not have Suboxone, I don't think I would have been able to. Yes, the program is amazing. I'm not saying you can't get clean from heroin without Suboxone, because you can, but for me, for for the way that I used, I there's no way I would have been able to get clean. Mm-hmm. How, and, would you, how would you describe Suboxone to listeners who only have a vague or no idea what that medication is? Like, what 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 did it do for you? Um, oh, and my God. It gave think, me a life. It gave me a functioning life. It gave me a functioning life. And even though I had stopped using heroin and then I was intravenously using meth for a couple years, I still was taking Suboxone on the regular. And thank God, because I would have, I can't even imagine what I would have been or where I would have gone had I not had Suboxone to at least not do heroin. Mm-hmm. And again, it's I'm not saying one's better than the other, but again, the way that my drug use is, the more the merrier. So the less the better yeah. is on, uh, yeah. you know, honestly. So if I can not use heroin today, I'm fucking winning. Yeah. And because of Suboxone, I was able to not use heroin. Yeah. And what about, you know, what would you say? Because I know you've been super active in 12-step and you have had sponsors and you and you sponsor other women. Yeah. And there's definitely, my sense, a, 
an ongoing controversy, not just in 12-step, but also in the addiction um, treatment community in general, whether if you're on Suboxone, Mm -hmm. are you truly, quote-unquote, clean? I've had other addicts actually, like, shame me. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Whatever fucking gets you there. I cannot abuse Suboxone. Like, who the fuck wants to anyway? I'm a drug addict. I want to do fucking heroin and meth, goddammit. <laughs> I don't want to take Suboxone underneath my tongue and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not what I want to do, but I do it because I need to so that I stay alive so that I don't do heroin. Yeah. So I think for anybody that is concerned that it's this drug that you can abuse, you can't even abuse Suboxone. There's literally like a stopping point to its milligram. What is it, like 12, 12 milligrams or something? Well, it may be above 24, but yeah, right. But above above 12, it's very diminishing it's like, returns. Yeah, yeah. You, nothing even happens chemically to you. So it's like, here's a drug that I've been looking for my whole life, actually. Mm-hmm. Something that actually still works, but I can't abuse. That's amazing, Yeah. Uh, first and foremost. But I now, mean, can you be open about that in meetings and like with your sponsees? Because I know a few years. Yes like, and no. So when Suboxone came on the market in you know, the early two thousands, definitely it seemed like people had to keep it secret. And it seems like maybe in NAA, it's getting a little more possible. I'm open about yeah. it. I'm open about it, but not always while I'm in a meeting sharing. Like yeah. if it's just a regular old day and it's a regular old meeting, I'm not going to say, hey, I took my Suboxone today. Yeah. When I'm having in-depth, when we're doing in-depth work with other people in the program, I'm absolutely open about it because it could be something that benefits them. It is not for everybody though. Mm-hmm. Um, not all heroin addicts can take Suboxone and be successful. So I, I think it just depends. For me, it worked, but it it doesn't always. Some people, I think they attach, it's an emotional thing, and we Mm -hmm. attach too much to the idea of still taking a drug, and then they cannot focus on their spiritual recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, recovery is a spiritual process. process it just is it has to be because that's that's just the way that it works that's the way that we flourish in recovery is by trying to heighten our spiritual activity or spiritual you know what what path whatever you want to call it and what people's concern is is that you can't have a spiritual experience if you're on suboxone Mm -hmm. and that is not true because I am proof of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have had a spiritual experience while taking Suboxone on a regular, you know, on a regular prescription basis with a doctor, you know, the right way. Mm-hmm. And and it works. And it works. I'm able to function and have a solid, good, full life and not worry about taking heroin and not worrying about being dope sick at the very beginning of me getting clean which is a big deal for a lot of people. That's why so many people go back to heroin because it's so hard to go through a a real withdrawal. Do you think Suboxone helps you stay away from other drugs? I mean, obviously it's a, it's a specifically medicine to treat opiate addiction, but I mean, I've heard some people, some people say that it seems to have an anti-craving effect for other substances, particularly downers, maybe not mm. meth and cocaine. Other people have said, well, Suboxone just helps my opioid thing. Because as you said you know, a few minutes ago, your heart is full of love for all, <laughs> all, all intoxicating <laughs> substances. But it's been pretty striking that if you look historically, um, when you got um, clean and sober, you started doing 12-step, you really devoted to that and you're on suboxone and you stayed clean what for two or three years you know no heroin you had a meth relapse right 
But pretty much after Suboxone, heroin was done. Right. Right. Which is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing. Sorry, I'm having an epiphany mm-hmm. even just talking about it. Because, again, like, it reinstills why Suboxone was so important to me. And why it could be so beneficial to so many other people. I think people are afraid of it. You know, and the other thing that I noticed is that I think people are diagnosed the wrong amount or they're uh, prescribed the wrong amount, the wrong level. They take it and they're telling me that they're getting high. I've never gotten high from Suboxone personally. Mm-hmm. That's never happened to me because I was prescribed the right amount, I think. And so maybe if I were to stop using it and then start taking it again or something, but I've never been high from it. But this is the stigma. People are selling Suboxone on the street like it's a narcotic. And it is not, for the love of God, a narcotic. And when I was out there bombing around, Suboxone was the last fucking thing I wanted to get high on. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the part that I can't socially grasp. Yeah, I think what it is, I've seen this with the people I've worked with that if if you take enough Suboxone, usually 8 to 12 milligrams, right, there's no getting high. It, you just feel normal. You feel stable. It blocks the effect of other right. opioids. People who are using a little bit of Suboxone, 2, 4 milligrams, 3 milligrams, they they can sometimes get high with it or in conjunction with other things. So I, I right. agree that I think the underdosing of Suboxone either by docs deciding that or people sort of yeah like if you haven't been on any opiates for a long time or whatever anyway but i think i think your original what was your original question Well, the original question is for you whether suboxone has helped you stay away from other drugs yes yes, that was the point sorry gosh such a spacey mind sometimes (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that's what i was duh i was having an epiphany about it um it is sti- like I'm sitting here still and I'm like, holy shit, because I haven't put heroin in my body. And that's my love. That's my true love. You know, I'm, I mean, and as much as I don't want to admit that, that's the truth. I love heroin. God damn it. And I have not put that in my body. How is that even possible? Like there's a divine intervention and then there's a boxing. Like the combination <laughs> is really, really powerful. I think they have a good synergy. Yeah. Because uh, in... in- some really important respects addiction is a spiritual disease it is and it also if you're opiate opioid addict your opioid receptors are they're beat up (laughs) yeah they're beat up that's why i say there's no way i would have been able to just like not do opiates i had been taking opiates for long enough you know because yes i started intravenously using heroin you know, when I was, what, 16 or 17. However, I had been taking opiates since, again, like sixth or seventh grade. Mm -hmm. You know, I started taking Vicodin when I was in sixth grade. So I had been taking opiates for a very, very long time as a young child into adulthood. And I just don't know how my body was going to function. I think I'm not saying you can't fully recover without Suboxone. But again, for this for this person, for me, for Lena, mm-hmm. I, I needed to have it. And it gave me sobriety. God damn it. The way that I use drugs, the way that my life has been, nobody would have ever thought I could be clean. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never thought I could be clean. And part of the only reason I am clean from everything is because of Suboxone. So yes, to your other question, you know, does it help diminish cravings, you know, for other drugs? I think what happens is this. I am the kind of drug addict that when I put one in my body, I'm going to put another and another and another and another. And so if I just have 
sobriety generally speaking i'm i have a better chance of having sobriety for everything and, and mm-hmm. being clean from everything but if i can't get clean from heroin i'm not getting clean from benzos and then i'm damn sure not getting clean from cocaine and meth yeah. and everything else that i'm gonna do so yeah. i have to first have a little bit of sobriety and then i can build from the rest of it if that makes sense yeah. you know Yeah. So where are you in your recovery today? I'm, I'm in a good spot. You know, it's a day-to-day thing. Every day is kind of a new day. I keep forgetting how many years I have because I have almost six years. Yeah. September is going to be a, six it's years. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's mm. crazy. You know, even just having these conversations like this, I mean, it's it, it's a miracle. I mean, it it is such a miracle. It's just absolutely insane. But you know, I'm happy. I have relationships with my family. Like, you know, I just kind of wake up, I hang out, I do my thing. I work, I have a full-time job. I just got a little email that says, thank you for being an employee with us for four years. Mm, that's so sweet. It's the longest job yeah. I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, thank you. And really, truly, that's the longest position I've ever held. And I love my job and I'm really, really good at it. But yeah, so I'm I'm really happy. And yeah, you know, sometimes uh, it gets a little stressful because I don't have, you know, the regular history of, you know, somebody else my age who maybe like already has a house or already has a, you know, credit card. Like I don't even have a credit card yet, but you know, I'm going to get there one day. <laughs> You get get me a line of credit and go shopping. Um, no, I'm totally kidding. Don't do that. But you know, my point is that it's it can be overwhelming. But if I think about it too much, you know, I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, and I have to remember that, like, really, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that I'm sober. Yeah, I'm clean and I'm yeah. sober. Yeah, like, that's amazing. Yeah, and I wish, and maybe we'll end with this point. You, you know, this is obviously an audio experience. But you make me wish this was video or YouTube because I so wish people could see what I'm seeing right now. Because Lena, you are so healthy and vibrant, and you. You, you are just like just sparks come off you of happiness, you. and no one would ever guess in a million years. I, I think if people could watch you tell this story they would think it's not possible. It's not possible. You, you, there's no way, right? There's no way. It's this, so funny. This vibrant, just, I mean, you're just, you just radiate like life and. Thank you. It's Thank just, you. it's. It, it, no, almost, that's so funny that you say that. So one of my sponsees, uh, sweet, really sweet girl. I love her. If you listen to this, I love you. You know who you are based on the story. You're going to know who you are, but she, you know, I've been like telling her these things about recovery and blah, blah, blah. And she'll kind of look at me. And so the other day I said, you know what? I know what the problem is. You don't think that I understand you. You can't, you don't know me yet. I have never told you my story, have I? And she was like, no. And I start telling her my story and she was like, I thought you were a cheerleader. (laughs) I was like, if only, I wish I had, let me find out. Like, 
But it was so funny because it was like, that's how it is. But you know what? That's anybody that I know that's in recovery. That's how it is. Mm -hmm. You know, my sponsor, who I love so much and has completely changed my life, my current sponsor now, uh, like I can't picture the things that she's done in her past. I just can't. uh, I can't put it there. You know, it's crazy. It's it's insane. Yeah. I mean, you you are a miracle. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I have to say, you know, having worked with a lot of people over the years, I mean, I still, each time I see you, it makes me so happy to see you. And I think I'm so grateful that you're alive and you're thriving and you're so funny and positive. And again, I wish if listeners could see you, they would not believe it. I know. What, I know. Thank who you. Who you. Well, you, you know, doing. and to that point, I have been so lucky to have a doctor like you because not a lot of doctors really get this. They just, I and you know, I'm sure there's so many amazing recovery doctors out there. I shouldn't say it like that. But, you know, I've seen quite a few doctors and I don't know a lot of doctors who just accept me, you know, and just kind of get it and they've seen it and they know it and they know what I'm talking about. And I can laugh a little bit and I can cry a little bit and I can heal a little bit. You know, that's that's kind of all. That's what it's all about. So, yeah, thank you, actually. Mm. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you. I I truly do. And I'm grateful that I'm your patient and that I know you. You know, I feel really lucky every day. So, yeah. Well, hopefully this thing that we just created will go out into the world and help some people. I hope so. Yeah. 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 I hope so. You know, life is crazy. It is. Life is crazy. But you know what? If I can do it, if I can get sober, you know, and people say this all the time, but if I can get clean and sober, God damn it, anybody can. Yes. Because I was like your story of like that dead girl by the time she's 21. Like that was me or mm-hmm. in prison, right? Yeah. And like I'm not dead and I'm happy and I'm sober and I'm clean and like I have a good life. It may not be a perfectly laid out path and I don't know what I'm doing today, but... You know, I'm. And you don't I'm, have a credit card. And I don't have a credit card. But <laughs> soon. My car might. My, my car might break down on the way home. But you know, that's okay because I'm clean. You yeah. know, so it's all right. You yeah. know, and all that other shit comes. Like that's what I've realized. Like that's what's so cool about recovery is like I handle life like a damn boss. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I don't. Sometimes I cuss and then yeah. like whatever. But most of the time, I handle life like a like a boss because I'm clean and sober, mm-hmm. and I can go through these really difficult situations like like I was born to go through difficult situations because I was you know that's what's mm-hmm. so crazy and it makes life really cool so anyway it's it's worth it's a life worth living every addict's recovery story is different and yet every story is the same in one key way for the opposite of addiction is connection And the only way out of the insanity of addiction is to start making healthy connections with others. And for Lena, her life-changing initial connections were with an unusually caring probation officer, as well as with a woman she barely knew who brought along another guy she didn't know at all to rescue her that night from her multiple-day crack binge in a Denver hotel. And then, of course, her 12-step sponsor... And now, Lena has healthy connections galore to women she sponsors, to friends and family and co-workers, and with me. And Lena is connected to life. She's fully and gratefully connected to this magical, frustrating, amazing, and at times overwhelming thing that we call life. And I think that 
in the end, I think that is what can help keep her clean and sober. If you like this episode, please share it with anyone else who might find hope or meaning in this story. Check out our website, BFTA, Back from the Abyss, btfapodcast.com, where you can learn more about us and this project, get more information on the treatments mentioned in the stories, as well as additional resources and music credits. You can also email us with comments or story requests. If you have time, please rate us on iTunes, as this helps us spread these stories far and wide. Much gratitude to my good friend Chris Johnson, who does our sound. And thank you for listening to Back from the Abyss. May each of you find the strength and support to find your way through the darkness. <laughs>